I'm Dove Tuzman. You're on equal footing. A little bit of a warning ahead of time for uh, if you have children in the room or adults that are sensitive on sexual subjects. We're going to be talking about something important and integral to our relationships, or at least most of our relationships, but it may involve some language that uh, is sensitive for some folks. We're going to be talking about the female orgasm tonight. The evolutionary importance or relevance and the religious place, the religious importance of the female orgasm, the big O. We've got a couple of extraordinary guests tonight, experts in the field, clinical sexologists, experts in sexual medicine, published authors. Let's start by introducing our first guest, Rachel Klachewski. And Rachel is a sex and relationship therapist. She's an educator with experience of over 11 years. She specializes in sexual dysfunction, alternative relationship structures, gender and sexual orientation exploration. She received her master's in social work at NYU and her master's in human sexuality at Widener University. Rachel geeks out on movies and home renovation shows when she's not studying uh, relationships and, and, uh, and sexual dysfunction. She is also learning, I think this is very cool, American Sign Language, so she can sign, so she can sing in sign language because singing with her voice. <laughs> she wrote this, not me, is not kind to others. So, Rachel, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for being on, on an important and sensitive subject. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I want to introduce our other esteemed guest, Dr. Steven Snyder. Dr. Snyder is a nationally recognized uh, voice on sexual medicine, sexual relationship issues. He's an associate clinical professor of psychiatry at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai here in New York City. He's been a frequent guest on major media outlets. You may have seen him on uh, outlets like NBC Today, the Goop podcast. He's a regular contributor to the Huffington Post and Psychology Today and written for him. He's also written for the Times of London, the AARP publication, Reader's Digest, Brides Magazine, and New York Magazine. And he's been interviewed by the New York Times. He's been in Atlantic, L, Cosmo, Vogue, and many other outlets. In 2012, Dr. Snyder, I think this is very cool, hosted Dolce & Cabana's international launch of their new fragrance, Desire, in St. Petersburg, Russia. You didn't expect that coming on his bio, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 2018, Dr. Snyder was awarded the Nautilus Gold Book Award for Relationships and Communication. That was for his first book, check it out, called Love Worth Making, How to Have Ridiculously Great Sex in a Long-Lasting Relationship. Uh, it's received many accolades, and uh, we'll 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 talk. I'll let him talk about his uh, his newest book uh, as as well. And it's uh, just on on his last book, uh, Dr. Jennifer Ashton, who you may know from Good Morning America on ABC, wrote "Love Worth Making" does for sex therapy what the play Hamilton did for the Broadway musical. Well, that's a big accolade. Dr. Snyder, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you, Dove. Pleasure to be here. 
You're making me blush. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get going with an with an, uh, a definition because the the male orgasm is well understood uh, t- typologically, uh, med- medically, um, it, biologically. The female orgasm less so. There's been a, a burgeoning uh, of of studies in this area over the last several decades, but not a lot before that. And in in doing the research for this show. It was hard to actually find an agreed-upon definition, and here's the best one that I was able to find, and I want you guys to tell me if uh, if I missed something. And this uh, this comes from an academic study that I'm going to have to uh, quote in a little bit because I, I don't have it up on my screen, but here it is. An orgasm in the, in the human female is a variable, transient peak sensation of intense pleasure creating an altered state of consciousness, usually with an initiation accompanied by involuntary rhythmic contractions of the pelvic striated circumvaginal musculature, often with concomitant uterine and anal contractions uh, that resolves the sexually induced vasocongestion and myotonia, generally, I love this end part, generally with an induction of well-being and contentment. So a variable transient peak of sensation of intense pleasure. That sounds similar to the male organism. The rest of that I'm not going to read again, but it's, it, it has to do with the, the vaginal uh, musculature and, and rhythmic contractions. Uh, Rachel, is this, is this a good description of the female orgasm to get us going? I mean, it sounds like a very, you know, fact-based definition. It sounds like it has all the, all the features. Of what a typical orgasm um, seems like is measured as. So yeah, I'm happy with that definition. Dr. Snyder, are you okay with this as a jumping-off point? Well, I think I agree with Rachel. I think it's an okay one. It's a little geeky. Um, I'm impressed that you can say pelvic striated circumvaginal muscles. Um, get that all the way through. That was impressive. Um, the, uh, I think you know we doctors are kind of simple-minded. And as a sex therapist and as a doctor, I like to kind of boil it down a little smaller. Um, an orgasm is a reflex. Mm-hmm. It's like all the other reflexes in the body. It's like the blink reflex or the cough reflex or the sneeze reflex. You get some sensations. And once the sensations hit a certain threshold, which in the case of orgasm is both psychological and a physical threshold, then it activates that reflex. Um, it's actually very similar to the sneeze reflex. People I talk to who have never had an orgasm, um, you know, you say, okay, it's like a sneeze. You know, you, you get a lot of pepper in your nose and you think, hmm, there's a lot of pepper. It could make somebody sneeze. And then um, you get more and you go, you know, I'm going to sneeze and there's nothing I can do about it because it's involuntary because it's a reflex. Right, and then the involuntary you go, part's critical. It's a good sneeze. Yeah. What'd so you say? I said the involuntary part is critical and, and it's, yeah. it, and, it, and it's, uh, it's an, it's an explosion. It's often described as that both in, in, in literary and medical, um, literature. So just so folks are aware that it's, it's a, the, the most respected comprehensive study on the women's orgasm. And I understand it's about an 80 page study that, uh, published by the Kinsey Institute some years ago as many authors, Meston, Levin, Sipsky, Hull, and Hyman, uh, ironically that last one, um, check, check, mm-hmm. check it out. Uh, the Kinsey Institute. Org, um, the female orgasm or the or woman's orgasm, if you want to get geeky, as uh, as as was just as one of our guests just mentioned. All right, now why is this worthy like of a Julia radio? Sorry, with a name like Julia Hyman, you had to become a sex therapist. <laughs> right, exactly. I didn't know I didn't, that would that would came up on me. Oh, no pun intended. Um, yeah. So, 
Why, why is this worthy of a radio discussion? It's not just to be, it isn't at all actually to be salacious. It's some, it's a, mm-hmm. there's actually a big debate going on, right guys, around if the female orgasm actually serves a purpose from a biological perspective today as humans does it enhance the chances of reproduction does it uh, does it help and ob- does it is it concomitant um it, it does it induce or help uh the uh, the ovulatory cycle uh, the, the, you know there's been discussion around around how we evolved from spontaneous to more kind of scheduled biological ovulation as 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 women and you know really as i understand it and I'm say, putting this in layman's terms for our listeners, and, and you guys run with it. My understanding, Dr. Snyder, is that basically this debate has bifurcated into two schools. One school, if I have it correctly, says, yes, there is an evolutionary reason. Uh, the, rather, evolutionary reasons everyone seems to be in agreement with. Like at some point in our past, um, in, in, in the evolution from apes to humans, um, there was a role for uh, the female orgasm. But now it seems to be that this is in, in two schools. One is there still there still is a reason. It still helps us with respect to reproduction. We just don't quite know what that reason is yet. And the other school holds no. There used to be, but it doesn't serve a purpose anymore. It's vestigial. It's kind of like um, the the appendix or tonsils. It served a purpose at one point. Now there's no. Now there isn't really a a purpose biologically for for the female orgasm. Dr. Snyder, did I get that right in layman's terms? That kind of where the debate is today. Well, you know, I think I'm going to have to refer defer to Rachel on this one first, um, because. Uh, you know, I've never had a female orgasm in my life, and so I think we should, you know, kind of get, have, have Rachel speak up first, and then maybe I could comment and maybe agree or disagree. Would that be okay, Rachel, or do you want me to go first? That's totally fine. Um, I mean, I miss the two schools of thought. I just have never witnessed them academically, um, and mostly because of the perspective of my education which is basically a, a considered like a pleasure-centered space. So we don't really ask questions about, like, is this necessary? Because pleasure is not seen as a necessity. You know, we're not trying to need pleasure. We want it and we engage in it. Um, so I, I have seen the, like, oh, it's no longer necessary. But I'm going to challenge that with the recognition that, there is a there is an interactive and interpersonal and intrapersonal um, effect that exists with orgasm, um, and I have a few kind of cases where I have seen this. I have seen people acknowledge themselves, their identities, and their sexuality, and build greater connectedness in their relationships when they finally were able to have an orgasm for the first time after treatment. Um, and in a way, it does indirectly affect reproduction. How so? Um, well, because if the body is stressed and anxious and feeling unsafe, it will affect reproduction, right? Chronic, uh, chronic stress does lower reproduction. Um, physical stress will lower the chances of reproduction. And the body tends to kind of know know things before we can acknowledge it with our mind in some ways. 
Um, as Bessel van der Kolk would say, the body keeps the score. So if you feel safe enough to have an orgasm in a partnership, it is likely that you're also going to, your body is going to be more receptive and more open to reproducing with that partner. Mm-hmm. And the the real reason we're constantly debating female pleasure and like its purpose and how we should do that, right? Like the the question is living in this belief that this needs to be necessary so we can justify it. Um, but ultimately, if we created safety around female sexuality, the orgasm would be obvious. Would would be more reflexive, right? We wouldn't be stopping it or stalling it. Um, like some people do with a sneeze. And this wouldn't be a debate that we would have. We would accept it for what it is. Let, let's, let's, let's talk, be, before we get into kind of the loyal partner theory and, 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 and even the potential spiritual aspects of uh, value of the female orgasm, Dr. Snyder, are there, yeah. my understanding is that there, there are at least two major types of female orgasm. There's a clitoral orgasm and, and an or, the orgasm that's, that's more around the vaginal musculature. Is that, is that correct? Actually, that's, that's, no, no, that's not true at all. That's, that, that went out decades ago. Oh, um, goodness. We'll get, that, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a minute, but I just want to talk to something Rachel said. I, I was really pleased that she talked about one, one might call the, the couple's aspect or the interpersonal aspect, um, of a possible evolutionary significance, um, the body aspects. I think it's important to focus on the social aspects as well, um, mm-hmm. because very little of the mating that we do is to reproduce. Very few uh, sexual events lead to reproduction. In fact, most of them are for bonding. And so if orgasm helps uh, cement the bond within a couple, and creates harmony within a family or, or a group. You know, originally sex was probably a little widely distributed. There wasn't totally monogamy. There was small groups of hunter-gatherers and stuff. Um, but it was good for easing tension within a group. So my guess is that would be the primary evolutionary significance of the orgasm with, with a human species, but I really don't know. Obviously, it's so hard to tell, you know, anything about uh, human evolution, given that we have so much cultural evolution on top of it at this point. So, um, so both of you, but, if I hear I, you... If I hear, pardon the interruption, you both seem to be talking about kind of the social and and and, and bonding element, kind of the love yeah, element of, yeah. of the, and, and that's really where you see the, the, the female orgasm. We know the, the male orgasm is, has a very particular purpose beyond beyond pleasure in terms of insemination. I'm hearing that the female orgasm is a, is, is, um, is, there isn't a defined biological purpose, but it's more about the the bonding in in lovemaking. Yeah, I would say the, uh, the the penis is a reproductive organ, and the cervix is really a sociable organ. Um, and so it it doesn't have that 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 reproductive purpose because we know that women don't have to have orgasms to get pregnant. Um, right. You see some out there theories about that during the moment of orgasm, there's some sucking motions from the cervix and the, the uterus that add. Yeah. Right, the, kind of the upsuck. Mary, Mary Roach yeah. debunked that. Uh, she was like, that isn't true, but it's a really fun theory if it's going <laughs> to yeah. make people invested in the female orgasm. And what, yeah, was, that, was, it, what was that theory, basically? Because that, that, there's been a lot of talk around how it enhances the chance of, of insemination. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, do you want to take this one, Rachel? 
Yeah, the theory basically stated that the contractions of the orgasm are basically going to pull the semen up into the cervix, right? So, like, like the the manual logistics of it. So they were thinking of it like physics, um, but they're saying like there is no evidence to suggest that it increases um, the chances of pregnancy or fertility in any way. And that's um, been deba- it was, debunked. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, okay. it was debunked back in like 2010 or 2009. Okay. Now, before you said I was wrong, that, that idea that there are two no. different types of female orgasm, the clitoral and the vaginal muscle, um, more exactly. oriented, that, that's wrong. Is it, that's, where are we in terms of the different typology of, of female orgasm? Yeah, that, 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 that theory, it was an old, old theory. It kind of came from Freud and uh, one of his famous patients. And it uh, it's caused a lot of damage over the years. Yeah. Um, as it was a line in the Woody Allen movie where the woman says, I finally had an orgasm and my psychiatrist told me it was the wrong kind. Um, so yep. in actuality, and this could be, really could be in bold letters, uh, you know, 20 points high, uh, all orgasms are from the clitoris, and there's no such thing as a vaginal orgasm. What makes it confusing is that the clitoris has roughly two parts. It has a small part, which is the outer clitoris, that nubbin you can see under a hood, um, and then you get the inner clitoris, which is this vast network of tissues that kind of circle the vagina, and they're over and under, around it, and has legs that kind of go on the vagina like the legs of a rider or on a horse. And whenever you're stimulating the inside of the vagina, you are really stimulating that inner part of the clitoris. It's like the submerged part of the iceberg. So we're going to take, we need to take our first break, but here are a couple of questions or ideas I want to fire out there to you and, and have our audience kind of think about a little bit as well. The duration of the, the mean, the average male orgasm is under 10 seconds in duration. Um, the average female orgasm is closer to 50 seconds in duration based on the academic literature. Help us understand and why you know we'll, we'll come back after the break to answer a couple of these questions also if the question number two to you guys is if the clitoris is the uh the center of the action really the the driver of the female orgasm why is the clitoris uh, so far northward why is it so separated from the vagina and then how does that affect um you know women feeling a lot of you know only only over around 60 percent of women experience orgasms based on the academic literature. So there's this often a feeling of problems in relationships or inadequacy or so forth. And why are we set up that way? Why is the body set up that way? I'm here with Dr. Steven Snyder, Dr. Rachel Klachewski, and we're talking about the big O, the female orgasm, its evolutionary importance, and we're going to talk as well about its uh, spiritual or, or religious uh, place as well. I really appreciate the, their, their openness, willing to be on the program talking about a subject that, you know, is at, uh, at, at best piquant, but, uh, also I think sometimes doesn't get enough of atten- attention because we're afraid to talk about things, these things out loud. As usual on Equal Footing, we try to get things out on the table, talk about it. Um, they do affect our lives, uh, in very direct ways. We'll be right back. You can participate in this conversation, ask a question or send in a comment. If you want to ask a question or make a comment on the air, 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. You can also text either by SMS or WhatsApp a question or comment to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. 
888-346-4062. As always, your comments and questions can be attributed. You can give your name or you can do it anonymously. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by Manhattan Medical. Manhattan Medical has a very important message for men and their partners. It's about erectile dysfunction. It's about being able to enjoy uh, sex. This is not something to be embarrassed about. It's something to discuss with a medical professional. Manhattan Medical is available for consults on erectile dysfunction for folks anywhere in the country, not just in the New York area. You can do also telehealth visits. And Manhattan Medical is different uh, in that it uses a new effective gains wave therapy. It's not those expensive blue pills. It's a therapy for folks that often for, uh, you know, want to try something that's more enduring, uh, often cannot take traditional medication because of um, other conditions. The gains wave therapy that's employed by Manhattan Medical for erectile dysfunction treatment is non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It's painless. There are no side effects. And for the vast majority of patients, there are wonderful results. Call Manhattan Medical about their gains wave therapy for erectile dysfunction. The number is 888 888- ED Cure 9. That's 888-ED-Cure-9. Spelled in numbers, 888-332-8739. Manhattan Medical, 888-332-8739. If you mention that you heard about Manhattan Medical's gains wave therapy for erectile dysfunction on this show, on equal footing, you get a free consult. And that's a real value. It's a $250 value. Mention you heard about it on equal footing. You get a free consult. And... Manhattan Medical came to me through a very close friend who is actually in his 80s and it had had wanted to regain an enjoyable sex life. He was able to do it with Manhattan Medical. If it can work for him, it can work for you. Call now Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction. That's 888-332-8739, 888-332-8739. I've been caught. You're back on Equal Footing. We're talking about the female orgasm. Why? Why does it exist biologically, evolutionarily? Where's its place religiously? I'm here with Dr. Steven Snyder and Rachel Klachewski, renowned clinical sexologists, sexual medicine experts. So before we went to the break, I was asking about the duration. The average male uh, orgasm is under 10 seconds long, somewhere around 7 seconds. Female orgasms, depending, you know, there's different studies out there, but between 25 and 50 seconds average duration. What's going on here, Rachel? Why, why such a big difference in this in transient, what was that technical? Transient intense pleasure. Well, I can't say that I can give you an academic answer to this. I can only infer. Uh, what we do understand is after the male orgasm, there's a there's typically a lengthy refractory period, which is a moment of like needing to rest where the body is particular sensitive, uh, particularly sensitive. Whereas like the female orgasm, um, while it does have a refractory period, does not mean that there isn't the ability to have sex again or engage in other pleasurable activities. 
Um, and so this could be a means of, like, if we're thinking evolutionarily or interpersonally, this could be a means of staying connected um, and staying, like, within the sexual sphere with a partner. But like I said, that's just, you know, my inference and not coming academically. So I'll let Dr. Snyder um, fill that in if he has any ideas. I don't. I don't think Dr. Snyder is going to get any closer to it. Uh, you know, I could. I could offer a few more theories. Um, you know, but they're mostly hand waving. Uh, one is that the the male uh, orgasm has a practical uh, reproductive significance. So it's designed to propel semen out, the muscular contractions. The female orgasm doesn't really isn't oriented around that whole launch thing. So it can kind of do whatever it wants. Um, and uh, so. The other possibility, I think, is that very often women have a more holistic experience during sex. Um, uh, I have a colleague, Julia Serrano, who's a uh, male-to-female transgender, and she described that when she started taking estrogen, she said she couldn't believe how much more intense the experience was, both of arousal and of orgasm. And it really just blew her mind. It reminds us of the, the ancient Greek myth of Tiresias, who had been both a man and a woman, and a woman. The gods kind of let him try both, and they said, "Who has more trouble? Who had more fun in bed?" And he says, "Are you kidding? The woman has nine times as much uh, pleasure in bed." I think it's just the way nature designed us. Interesting. Well, that, I mean, the duration would bear that out. Now, I want to talk about that other question we addressed before the break, and it has to do with a stigma that I think is is not fair. And a lot of what we try to do here on Equal Footing is about breaking down stigmas, opening up about stuff that affects our, our lives. And there is a stigma around um, often in situations where women cannot have an orgasm or do not regularly experience an orgasm. Um, it, it's almost 40% of women, at least in the United States, uh, report not experiencing orgasm at any point in their sexual relations. Um, and there's this dynamic uh, around the clitoris, which is central to the female orgasm, being separated from the vagina, which means that the inserted penis doesn't necessarily stimulate it. I thought it was fascinating in my research to find that almost 80% of women in homosexual couples experience uh, an, an orgasm, where it's more like 60% in heterosexual couples, obviously as well around the focus on clitoral stimulation as opposed um, to, to traditional um, intercourse. Does this, does an understanding of the biologic, the bio, the biology, the separation of the clitoris and the vagina address this issue of stigma, Rachel? What do you say to women that are listening that don't regularly experience uh, an orgasm? Are they somehow deficient or are they in a certain sense evolutionary, maybe evolutionarily, maybe more evolved? Um, I would say it's, it's, Kind of neither. Um, you know, we need to recognize, and Emily Nagoski speaks about this in her book, Come As You Are, we need to recognize that context is very meaningful for, in particular, women, but also for men when it comes to sex and desire. Um, a lot of times, like, right, like, it's important that you pointed out that in same-sex relationships, women experience orgasm at a far greater rate than in heterosexual relationships. Right. We also need to see that in other parts of the world that are more sex positive and are safer and do, are not punitive around female sexuality, you will have much greater rates among same-sex and heterosexual, you know, uh, dynamics of 
female orgasm. So the context is important. And we typically are raising women in an environment where their sexuality is something that they should be embarrassed about. Mm-hmm. And so when they, what, just because they're married doesn't mean that the flip gets switched. And it's attached to years of inundation about what is okay and what is not okay about their orgasms um, and what's okay about pleasure. We're also living in the context of, like, you know, where we kind of put abstinence on the hierarchy. Um, again, this is not a Jewish value, but it is a very significant Christian value of abstaining and procreative sex being the only kind of sex to engage in. And that's going to bleed through regardless of your environment. So when it comes to the physicality of it, like why is the clitoris separate from the vagina? Well, first we, we, you know, as Dr. Snyder mentioned, right, the, the clitoris wraps around the vaginal canal. So it's not separate. It's just another organ. And if we consider what the vagina is supposed to do, right, it's a, it's a, it's a canal that a human is supposed to pass through. So you really don't want it to have that much sensitivity Uh, because that would be really painful Mm -hmm. and would probably make a lot of people be like, this is not worth the effort, you know, like that is right. That's not going to make this a like an experience worth revisiting um, for many folks. There's a reason the vagina does not have a lot of nerve endings um, for, you know, for that purpose, right? Like it would be, it just wouldn't make sense to build something in that way. So the clitoris being separate is, hey, like this is here, you are gonna enjoy pleasure, like you are gonna enjoy this. It's just a matter of finding it, feeling safe enough, and being in touch with what you really enjoy. And we often fear our sexualities. So when we're talking about women having a hard time with orgasm, there is a lot of fear. There is a lot of discomfort around their sexuality. and. You know, we're, we're full of sphincters, and sphincters are very tricky and touchy um, beings, <laughs> like, within us. And so they will tighten up, and they will make it difficult, which is why I primarily work with vaginismus. Um, it's the primary uh, sexual dysfunction that I see. And we talked about vaginismus before on, on the show. I think it was Dr. Bacheva Marcus who, who joined us. It's mm-hmm. really something that... that it's important for, for folks to know that there's a discussion out there, that there's help to be gotten. Um, it's not the subject of this show, but you want to give us a one sentence on vaginismus before I, I want to ask another question sure. on the clitoris. Sure. There are a couple of varieties of vaginismus, but, but ultimately it is when the vagina kind of like tightens up and does not allow uh, penetration to varying degrees. Um, so it could be, or in varied circumstances, so while it might be possible for somebody to have a tampon in their vagina, they may not be able to have a gynecological exam or have sex. Or they may be able to have a gynecological exam, but they won't be able to be penetrated with a penis or something that shape or size. Um, or sometimes it's it's a different issue, but ultimately um, it's the vagina tightening too right. much to be able to endure penetration. And, and yet I, I, we've, it's a subject for another show to talk about kind of sexual dysfunction. Uh, we've talked about that on the, on the male side to probably should do a separate one entirely on that on the female side. Mm-hmm. But, it, 
lack of the ability to have an orgasm is often listed as the number one or number two um, self-reported complaint from women on 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 sexual mm-hmm. function or dysfunction. And we have one um, previous guest who is also listening to the shows as a uh, also background in in, um, in in sex and relationship therapy who wanted me to clarify. I love being corrected that uh, my quote before was exaggerated the number of women that don't uh, self-report having orgasm that it's it's 40 percent who don't who report not having it having orgasms regularly um but that the mm-hmm. number is lower around 15 percent report never having had um an, an orgasm and i think some of that has probably has to do with the exploration of clitoral um of stimulation there's also a, a, a yeah go ahead go ahead dr Sain. i want to i want i want you to whatever you're going to say if you could also follow up by helping us understand the the anatomy for a sec because my understanding is that the the male and sexual uh, genitalia actually start in the same place evolutionarily. Yeah, I think a lot of people about, know that. Yeah, so so we talk about where what's what what fits with what. Um, so the penis is the uh, uh, corresponding organ is the clitoris. The vagina and the vagina area and the lips and so forth. The corresponding organ is the scrotum. So I see uh, for. A woman to have a, try and have an orgasm with her vagina is like a man trying to have an orgasm with his scrotum. It's going to be very ambitious. Um, so the, the what reason an interesting that, way to say it. So, so the reason that most women have trouble uh, getting an orgasm just with vaginal penetration is because the vagina, as uh, Rachel said very eloquently, not really designed for this. Um, so the reason is really pr- penetration. And the reason that lesbians uh, have more orgasms is because they're not that involved with penetration. They only right. do it if they want to. Whereas for most heterosexual people, it's like a mitzvah. It's like a sacrament. You've got to do it. Otherwise, you haven't really done the deed and you feel bad. Right. Um, as a sex therapist, most of your efforts are spent enabling people to get more of the good parts of the clitoris involved. For instance, most women, they go on top and they'll grind down on the man's pubic bone or his belly um, with their clitoris while he's inside them. So essentially what they're getting is they're getting both parts of the clitoris, the outer part, which is getting the grinding, and the inner part, which is getting that containment and that stimulation. And uh, that's in general, that's a good way to do it. Quick question for Might I also yeah. mention? Go ahead, Rachel. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but there are now like advances in technology um, specifically for, you know, for stimulation and for sexual pleasure. And there is a company that does make a toy, and I can say it if I'm allowed to, but if I'm not allowed to, um, that makes a specific toy that's no, meant to be go, there's worn. No, go ahead. You can say the name oh, okay. as, long, as long as it's not, so, you know, using a swear word. Okay, so it's called, uh, the company's called Dame, and they have created the EVA. Um, the founders are graduates of MIT, and they, and they designed this, uh, to fit, like, to be worn without any straps, and it, you know, like, it could just stay on the body. They designed it very, very well, and it is used for two purposes, because it's a pretty delicate vibration, so to, bring pleasure to the body and just like get the body started on that physical desire, but also to be worn during penetration um, to get that clitoral stimulation while sex is like while penetration is happening. Interesting. Yeah. There's, there's, there's been a boom in, in the, uh, the device business, if you will. And a yes. lot of, a lot of business <laughs> have been started by women and have, have kind of filled a need in the market that, uh, that, 
that's clear. It's another, there's another, um, company out there called Love Ends, uh, for example, that's, mm-hmm. that, that I think is, is similar. We've got to take another break, but I got a, a quick uh, comment from a, a listener's kind of comment question I want to read. This is uh, David, who's writing in from Colombia, from the country of Colombia, that said um, he was interested to read that 30% of Latin American women report having never felt an orgasm, where he understands that the number is closer to 15% in North America. His question is, is this difference, maybe you could take this, Rachel, is this dif- difference due mm-hmm. to more conservative sex practices in Latin America or some sort of cultural overlay? Do you want me to answer this now or after the break? Yeah, no, give us a quick answer now, we'll take, then we'll take the break. Okay, well, I'm going to uh, touch on some some aspects of this, right? So, I'm going to speak about Latin America as a as a large um, generalization, and this is not very specific. But we do understand that it is majority Catholic, um, where there isn't a lot of um, challenge to to that Catholicism, and so abstention is often a higher priority. Um, additionally, the the gender roles are more delineated and female sexuality is perceived in a particular way, whereas like masculinity and male sexuality is perceived in another way that's going to interact interpersonally where it might make it very challenging for a woman to feel safe and comfortable with pleasure and orgasm. Um, and in the United States, we just have a lot more, a lot more challenging that um, in just in the experience of being in this country. Um, but we also have higher rates of atheism, higher rates of people questioning um, the standards of the belief systems and varied, much more varied um, religious Attachments. Perfect segue because after the break, we do, I do want to follow through on that promise to talk about the religious place, at least in the Abrahamic faiths of Mm -hmm. the uh, female orgasm. And uh, this listener who just asked that question real time sent a message saying, yes, it's, it's about the Catholic and very machista man. So we'll talk about the differences uh, between, you know, in the, in the Christian faith and in the, in, the, in the Jewish faith. Where does the female orgasm sit? We'll be back on equal footing. We're talking about the female orgasm, orgasm its evolutionary importance, its, its uh, biology, and its religious place. I'm here with Rachel Klachewski and Dr. Steven Snyder. We'll be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures.
Hi, I'm Joe Tuzman. You're back on Equal Footing. We're talking about the female orgasm tonight. It's evolutionary importance. It's biology. It's religious place. I'm here with Rachel Klachewski, a renowned clinical sexologist, sex and relationship therapist. Dr. Steven Snyder has been on many national media outlets talking about these types of subjects very openly and articulately. He's also the associate clinical professor of psychiatry at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai here in New York. All right. So we let's talk. We've we've covered some of the the biology and some of the scientific debate. Didn't quite resolve that. I want to come back to that in our last segment. But let's talk about the religious side. Boy, this is not fair to our Christian listeners because I'm Jewish and I. It's easier for me to stylize uh, this point of view. I think all three of us. I, I know all three of us on the program here are Jewish tonight. And the Christian view, though, I'm going to summarize anyway. And I want listeners to tell me I'm wrong. And it's I would say it's summarized as kind of if if you believe that 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 God created women, then you have to believe that sex is just for pleasure. I'm talking about an extreme Christian view. Um, and if that's not true, why does the anatomy of the female orgasm have nothing to do with procreation? Um, it's kind of like, you know, babies first, procreation first, you know, pleasure, pleasure second. Um, and the Christian doctrine, doctrine of sex would seem to be that orgasms are um, kind of, you know, don't, don't need any justification, maybe even not worthy of discussion. Now, I'm sure that was not fair. I want Christian listeners to tell me I'm totally wrong, and of course I'm talking about kind of an, uh, the 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 far far right, let's say. Now Judaism is, in a certain sense, although we get a bad rap sometimes in this stuff, a lot more sex positive, or at least female orgasm positive. There's discussion in the Gemara and the, and the Talmud about the pleasure of the woman very explicitly. In fact, it's relatively well known um, that there's a dictate. I think it's from Gemara that. Uh, that that a, uh, a man needs to uh, give his his wife uh, uh, orgasms and and namely I think at least two is it two per day is or two on Shabbat I don't remember um, but there's there's a lot of discussion around that and I find that interesting as far as I could tell in the research it's the only religion that seems to have an explicit discussion of the importance of female climax Rachel and Dr Snyder is that right was that last statement right are there real differences between the Jewish and Christian views of the female orgasm? Well, I can give you my uh, perspective on it. I'm actually an avid student of of, of this subject. Um, And uh, one of the interesting things about Christianity, as I understand it, um, is that the early Christians didn't think the world was going to last very long. They thought the second coming of Jesus was going to happen fairly soon. And so it was always kind of a religion that was oriented towards the world to come. So pleasure in this world was never really such an important thing, whereas Judaism always had much more of a this-world orientation. Um, Olam Haba ideas in Judaism came later and kind of in consonance with Christianity. Um, Judaism was always about this world. So in this world, it was interested in families and pleasure and things that created harmony in the community. Okay. All right. That's interesting. I never heard that argument before. Uh Rachel, what's your, what's your yeah. view on, on the female orgasm and Jewish thought? Faith. So I'm going to agree that, like, when we look at the Abrahamic religions, uh, you know, there's what is known and what is actually, you know, in the text, right? So th- there's always going to be what people have been taught and what is truly there. Um and so we do have a much more sex-positive religion as far as, you know, 
like Judaism is concerned. But again, there is a lot of misinformation and disinformation around that. So there are communities that truly believe that female sexual pleasure is like not only unnecessary, but should not be indulged or even considered mm-hmm. um, where there's a lot of restrictions. So, so there is a point to that. And as far as Christianity is concerned, we have to also recognize that it's also heterogeneic and like there's many different iterations on the, the discussion of sex. And they will also have a different perspective based on the the different communities and the different types of Christianity we are discussing. So like to to expand on 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 that kind of disclaimer that you were placing there. But in general, um Christianity does focus more on abstention uh than Judaism yeah. does. And I would argue as well as as Islam. Uh, we have um, yeah. one, one listener who's yeah. sent in a whole bunch of interesting references I wouldn't have known otherwise from yeah. uh, scholars like Ibn Hazm, Ibn, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing these mm-hmm. names correctly, uh, Akil, Ibn Najjar, who are you know uh, scholars in the history of Islam who who clearly say that that female um, self stimulation is permissible that that mm-hmm. there's encouragement towards stimulation of the clitoris or uh, stimulation for a woman to have pleasure before uh before intercourse um in in even in the ultra orthodox circles there's been increasingly an acceptance of a female masturbation on the on the jewish mm-hmm. side there's one listener here who's correcting me that the um what's specifically in the text around the female orgasm in in the talmud is that the husband has to be careful to make sure their wife has the orgasm first before their own. Um, so I guess just, I know it's, it's a, it's, uh, it's really on the surface of the matter, but it, it does seem to bear out that there is, that, that the Christian, and when it comes to the Abrahamic faith, that the Christian, um, view is probably the most, um, the least permissive. Yeah. Dr. Snyder, yeah. does that comport with your understanding? Yeah, I, that, that would be my understanding as well. Um, it, it's really, uh, really an otherworldly kind of religion with a focus on uh, the kingdom of God, which is going to be, you know, a- after the uh, uh, the the revelation and uh, at the end of days. Um, and that's the, the you know the rapture. That's going to be really what it's all about. And this this world is just a waiting room. Um, obviously, that belief has kind of made its way into religious Judaism, but it's not really at the heart of traditional religious Judaism in its origins. Yeah, I, we, this could be right. occupy a whole show. By the way, one one listener um, writes in that this must be why must be why in her experience all sex therapists are Jewish women. But we've got we've got a male Jewish we've got a, a, a Jewish guy on the on this show who's a sex therapist. Come on. So to clarify, if you are looking. If you are looking for sex therapists that are not Jewish women, other than Dr. Snyder, of course, you can check out the American Association for Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, AASECT. And there's also an entire, um, an entire list of black sexologists that are coming from multiple faiths and faiths that are not just Abrahamic um, that you can find as well. But we did kind of like... You know, with Dr. Ruth Westheimer, we did kind of like 
lead the charge in the United States on this particular iteration of sexology. Yeah, not only Dr. Ruth, but a few different scholars in this area uh, Yeah, uh, Mm -hmm. were Jewish women. In fact, this listener clarifies that what she meant was the best sex therapists are Jewish women. We're going to take a caller from line five who's been patiently waiting, I think wants to address this issue of of self-stimulation. Can you hear me, line five? Are you on the air? All right, hopefully we'll get, we'll get, We'll get the caller. Caller. Hello. Yep, yep, we hear you. Sorry about that. Shouldn't this program be on about 2, 3 in the morning? I know. That's <laughs> no. why I gave the I gave the trigger warning at the beginning. Trigger ain't going to help this situation. But you, you know what? I think it's important that this stuff be on at, at 7 o'clock in the, you know. Hey, that doesn't bother me. Because so, it, you know. otherwise it doesn't, you know, people, it, it continues to get shunted off to the side. It's a critical part of, of relationships. Nobody likes yeah. to discuss it. What's your question? Anyway, uh. One, you don't need a man, or a woman doesn't need a man, and a man doesn't need a woman to have an orgasm. That's, that's, that's we know. They don't need each other to have it. All they need is a magazine or a film, and that, that will get it to itself. The key point is that uh, that is the major thing. It, let's understand something. After, specifically, Orthodox women who have five, six, seven, or eight kids, which to some is norm in, in this situation. After the first two, the orgasm has gone forever because then it's strictly a baby machine. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, I'm going to hold you there. Is, Rachel, yeah, that's it. Rachel, I mean, is that, is that true? Does a female orgasm reduce as, children, as, as women have more kids? Really? I've spoken to women who said it, that it goes. We've, we've, got two, we've got two experts here, uh, including a medical doctor. So, uh, Rachel, you're saying no. Dr. Snyder, is there is there evidence of reduction in the female orgasm as, as women have no. more children? We're talking about orgasm because that's what, uh, you know, is everybody gets preoccupied. I, I, I say, you know, the definition of a sex therapist is the one person in the world that doesn't care about orgasms because the really essential mm-hmm. things have to do with arousal and desire. Now, it is true that many, many people who are distracted by having five or six or seven children under the foot lose some desire and occasionally lose arousal, but I don't think there's anything that says the capacity for orgasm is what, what about the basic thing? What about, and it's the, I mean, I'm going to use the word, what about the prostitute who has sex? With many men, and after the first time she's done it, uh, I know because someone told me about it, that they don't have any orgasms. They pretend or whatever, or maybe once in a blue moon. The prostitute has many men, female, and uh, they don't have orgasms. Basically, it's a business, and they don't need it. A sex worker is, right, she's in a transactional relationship. Her orgasm is not necessarily something she wants to share with you know, a client, um, you know, like they're perfect. I, I work with sex workers and they have, um, and you know, like that, that's not where it lives. Um, it, it doesn't live in the transactional relationship. And this is essentially what we're talking about here at the end right. of the day. If we want to enhance the ability for somebody who is, you know, so contextual with their desire and their arousal, we need to make it safe and friendly and and good for them to explore their bodies and be vulnerable in that space. So if you're going to have an argument, you know, the desire of that woman is going to go down. If she was stressed all day, it's going to happen the right. same way. And 
male sexual dysfunction functions in the same way. If he's stressed, if he's mourning, if he's dealing with something, he's likely to experience some kind of erectile dysfunction. And I think it's important for both genders to understand, really let that sink in, that it doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong with you. Certainly there should be no stigma attached to sexual dysfunction that's that's often rooted in anxiety, in uh, in 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 stress, and so forth. That's that's normal. Our bodies were set up that way. There's abundant medical evidence ar- around that. I do want to before we take our last break, which we got to take in a second. I do want to talk about like onanism because Stan made the good point. I think that was Stan made made the the the, the point that you don't need a partner to have an orgasm. But since this this segment we were just on was about the religious uh, perspective, I mean. In Judaism, as I understand it, uh, Rachel, the the female orga- female self stimulation to orgasm is allowed. Onanism, the the male stimulation to uh, self stimulation to orgasm, is not allowed. Correct? Right. So uh, this is where it depends which school of thought you want to follow and you know practice your Judaism through. Um, you see, uh, onanism is kind of like a misnomer because Onan, the person that, you know, this whole thing came from, um, did not self-stimulate. What he did was he tried to deceive his family in order to keep the potential inheritance from the, you know, from his brother's widow. And ultimately his sin had nothing to do with ejaculating outside of her body. Um, his sin had to do very specifically with violating his, you know, like the rule that he was supposed to follow and then being deceptive and then trying to steal the inheritance of somebody else. Right. And if we're that, really going to look that's at a controversial. We, we could do a whole show on that because I know that's, that's probably not the kind of standard halachic stance. Yeah. The, uh, can, I, can, I, can I jump in? Yeah. Go ahead and then we'll take a break. Go ahead and we'll take a break. But Rachel, you know, my, my understanding, you know, there's a Peshat, the, the actual text is he spilled his seed on the ground. I mean, I've always figured, I looked at that, it sounds like coitus interruptus. It sounds like they were having sex, and then he pulled out, and he ejaculated on the ground. Um, and it got generalized by uh, the rabbis that spilling seed anywhere but in a vagina was, was a sin. And unfortunately, once this idea gets going, it becomes part of the whole evidence, evidence edifice of Torah, and it becomes kind of part of the operating software of the religion, and, and nobody really has the authority to change it, which is a huge problem, because we're stuck with this thing about yeah. male masturbation. But I totally agree with you. It didn't sound like he was masturbating. Yeah, and it, you know, it's it's worth discussing this stuff, even if we think we've, we've, uh, we've learned it completely uh, in Hebrew school. We're going to be back after our last break, talking about the female orgasm with Rachel Klachewski and Dr. Steven Snyder. We'll be right back. DocuVax is also brought to you, excuse me, DocuVax brought to you, Equal Footing is also brought to you by DocuVax, a, a great sponsor over time. I'm sorry, DocuVax. Are you a small or medium-sized business owner who wants to provide a low-cost, effective health benefit for your employees? Uh, maybe you're just a parent trying to keep your family's medical records up, records up to date, or an individual trying to do the same, like me. Well, welcome to DocuVax. It's an easy-to-use digital locker accessible on your laptop or smartphone. It allows you to safely store and validate basic medical information 
like vaccine and immunization records, lab results, serology tests, even x-rays and MRIs. Gone are those frustrating days of trying to track down your medical records across various doctors and files and computers. You can just share your test results with a new healthcare provider or a new insurance company super easily and cheaply using the DocuVac system. It also helps you save money on references uh, from your GP to a specialist. You don't have to go and spend that $200, $300 anymore. Just use DocuVac $699 per month. And DocuVax, which you can find at DocuVax.com, that D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com, or on your iPhone or Google Play app stores on your smartphone, just put in DocuVax, D-O-C-U-V-A-X, you can get for as little as $6.99 per month all of your medical records in a, in a secure, HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility. And this is the most important part, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, doctors, nurses, and physicians' assistants are available to you 24 hours a day to validate those vaccine records, blood tests, or anything else in your medical locker. Get Organized around your medical information. Your medical information does not belong to anyone else. You own it, not your doctor, not your insurance company, and goodness knows, not the government. DocuVax's medical data sharing system uses a proprietary QR code-based system that keeps your data secure so you can share just what you want to, that you're, you've had a particular vaccine or preventative screening without having to share information that's extraneous, like your birth date or where you live. So... Get a reminder as well and when you need to get that colorectal exam or, or breast cancer screening, get organized again around your medical data. Call if you want also to sign up, 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. If you mention that you heard about DocuVax on equal footing, you can get group discounts. If you're like a small business owner or school administrator and you want to offer the service to others. So get DocuVax. Operators are standing by. Right. That's right. I forgot. You're a man. What was that supposed to mean? Nothing. It's just that all men are sure it never happened to them, and most women at one time or another have done it, so you do the math. You don't think that I can tell a difference? No. Get out of here. Oh. Oh. Are you okay? Oh. Oh, God. Ooh. Oh, God. Oh. 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 Oh, God. Oh, yeah, right there. do a show on the female orgasm without that amazing scene, Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal, <laughs> Mary Met Sally. But the takeaway here is 
No faking necessary. This is an important thing to discuss, to be out there about your man, woman, in a relationship, not in a relationship, self-simulation, coital uh, stimulation, non-intercourse uh, stimulation. The female orgasm is critical to healthy emotional life. doesn't get enough attention, enough studies. Thank you, Dr. Steven Snyder. Rachel Klachewski for being open on this subject. Hope you have you hope that hope to have you back, Mushmouth, on equal footing. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thank though. you.